Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Beyond the Valley. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Arjun Kapoor coming to you from Guangzhou. Bitcoin, that's what we're going to be talking about today. It was all the rage in 2017 and sort of went into the background and now is back with a bang. I've got two exciting interviews lined up for you today. Anthony Pompliano, co-founder and partner at Morgan Creek Digital Assets, an asset manager investing into crypto assets. Pompliano is bullish on Bitcoin's long-term potential. He runs us through why. And Nikolaus Panigritsoglu from JP Morgan, who recently said that the price of Bitcoin could go up to 146,000 US dollars if it starts to challenge gold as an investment asset. But he added that would only happen under certain conditions. We'll find out what those are. So Bitcoin is what we talked about in our first ever episode of Beyond the Valley. Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. It's decentralized, meaning it has no central authority like a central bank, for example, to control it. Instead, the so-called Bitcoin network is made up of miners who process transactions. These miners operate a vast array of specialized computers required to carry out the Bitcoin mining process. But because there are many different miners, no single entity can control the network. And because the computers they use are often very powerful machines, Bitcoin proponents claim the Bitcoin network is one of the strongest computer networks in the world. Another key fact about Bitcoin, it has a cap on the amount of the digital currency that will be in circulation, 21 million, adding to arguments that it is scarce. In 2017, Bitcoin mania was taking hold. It hit a record high of over $19,000 and retail investors were piling in. But the bubble burst and a bear market set in. Then in early 2021, Bitcoin came back with a vengeance. It hit over $49,000, far surpassing the previous high it set back in 2017. Now, there are a number of factors that drove that. Some compare Bitcoin to a digital gold, a hedge against inflation and a safe haven asset. These assets are investments that people think will retain or increase in value during times of financial market turbulence or even political instability. Gold is an example of this, and now there are a number of commentators that think Bitcoin is playing this role. Some say that monetary policy, which has seen central banks printing money, has driven people to Bitcoin, and others say it's just speculators. But one thing that most commentators agree on is that in 2021 versus 2017, there are larger, more professional investors involved, and that's been supportive. But also, some high-profile tech names have continued to throw support behind it, Tesla founder Elon Musk, for example, changed his Twitter bio to hashtag Bitcoin one day and the price shot up. And Tesla announced in February that it bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin and said it will begin accepting Bitcoin as payment subject to applicable laws and initially on a limited basis. That also sent the Bitcoin price soaring. So I want to kick off our conversation with Anthony Pompliano, co-founder and partner at Morgan Creek Digital Assets, an asset manager investing in crypto assets. He's a big believer in Bitcoin, and we spoke about why he believes in it and some of the arguments behind that. I started by asking him why Bitcoin has seen a resurgence. 
Yeah, I think there's just a natural market cycle for uh, for Bitcoin, right? We've seen this happen multiple times before. You get kind of a big boom cycle. Uh, then some people get flushed out as the market turns over. You go into a kind of prolonged bear market, and then you get it kind of recovering with a vengeance. And so um, each time it's a little bit different, but ultimately it boils down to the exact same market structure, which is when you have a fixed supply asset, demand increases, the price increases. And so what we're seeing now is uh, many institutions and some corporations coming into the market, increasing demand. Obviously, the price will uh, go up and I think we'll continue to see that happen through uh, through this year. And in your view, what have been some of the kind of key factors behind the recent rise? I think the biggest one has been the macro environment, right? If you kind of just look at the coronavirus uh, pandemic caused uh, the Fed to intervene uh, and central banks around the world to intervene. And that was a marketing campaign. There was trillions of dollars that was printed and injected into the economy. And everyone from individuals to financial institutions and corporations ran around the world looking for the best way to protect their purchasing power. They ultimately decided that it was Bitcoin. And as that capital flowed to the asset, uh, Bitcoin's outperformed every other store value kind of inflation hedge asset. And I think that's only going to continue. And so, Anthony, here's a big question that that I get asked a lot, um, and you know, a lot of people get asked a lot: is why does Bitcoin have value? I mean, what's your view on that? What's your take? Yeah, I think that there's two main reasons, right? One is you're talking about a decentralized, open digital protocol, uh, and so uh, the ability to have uh, a global payment rail that allows you to transfer value between each other uh, without the need for a middleman uh, or the establishment. Uh, is incredibly valuable. And so that kind of censorship-free, uh, you know, open protocol uh, allows people to do exactly what they want to do when they want to do it in the size uh, that they want to do it. And so I think that one, just from a, a qualitative standpoint, uh, that is an incredibly valuable thing in the world. Uh, the second thing is it is backed by uh, the strongest computing network in the world. And so one way to look at it is uh, currently the world uh, is putting a value of about 650 to 700 billion dollars uh, on the world's strongest computing network. And over time, I think that will continue to rise. Uh, but just like other commodities, computing power is now a commodity. And so uh, when you are backed by uh, probably the most valuable com uh, commodity in the world, computing power, uh, you're naturally going to um, you know, kind of have that inherent or intrinsic value that everyone always talks about. And what about the argument that says, look, computing power is only going to improve, it's only increasing, we're talking about quantum computing as well at some point. I mean, can Bitcoin survive through those advances in computing? Yeah, I think that the uh, advancements in any sort of technology that can be used for nefarious purposes uh, is also met at the same time with advancements in defensive technologies as well, right? It's not just like bad actors uh, get to uh, continue to uh, increase uh, the effectiveness of their technology without a counterbalance of uh, the defense also doing that. And so whether it's cryptography or other types of technology, you constantly see this cat and mouse game, this back and forth. Uh, and so I think that that's just kind of a natural thing that happens in markets. Uh, with that said, uh, I also think that um, we have to remember that the network continues to get stronger over time, right? It, it's kind of a moving target in terms of the hash rate. And so that's only an ever increasing thing over a long period of time. 
And Anthony, I want to play devil's advocate here because there are a number of arguments as to, you know, particularly from from those on the bullish side on the Bitcoin debate as to why they are bullish on Bitcoin. And I want to run through a few of those with you. Look, one of those, of course, is the idea of scarcity, the idea that there's a 21 million Bitcoin cap. But of course, just because something is scarce, it doesn't necessarily mean it's valuable. So, you know, in your view, where does the scarcity argument come in with Bitcoin? Yeah, well, it, it's a uh, artificially capped supply. Uh, and the big difference in Bitcoin scarcity versus, let's say, something like gold is gold's scarcity is built on narrative, right? Nobody actually knows how much gold there is. Nobody knows uh, what the circulating supply of gold is. Uh, and we actually don't even know how much gold comes out of the ground on a daily basis. With Bitcoin, we can prove every single thing. There's a verifiability to it uh, and an auditability, meaning that we can verify it and we can audit uh, exactly what the total supply is, 21 million Bitcoin, how many Bitcoin are coming into the circulating supply on a daily basis, 900 Bitcoin right now, and also what is that circulating supply, about 18.6 million, uh, but the exact number is, is known and provable. And so when you look at that, what you start to understand is uh, Bitcoin is uh, at least a 10x, if not 100x improvement on a technology like gold as a store of value. And so that scarcity is no longer derived from a narrative, but rather it is derived uh, from the ability to prove provable scarcity. And what I ultimately believe is that provable scarcity will be deemed much more valuable by people around the world than the narrative-based scarcity that we've seen over the last you know, couple of centuries. In theory, though, Anthony, if there is consensus in the community, this cap, in theory, could be increased, right? So the scarcity is not necessarily absolute. Yeah, of course. But you know, when you look at it from a sense of you'd have to get 51% of all people to agree um, you know, that have a vote, the odds of that happening are near zero, right? When there's been uh, attempts to make changes to the code in the past, uh, they've been rejected and rejected vehemently. Uh, and so I think that what you basically would have to do is you'd have to violate the very ethos, the very um, kind of uh, structure of the asset, uh, which I just don't see happening. I don't think anyone really sees that happening. Um, and, you know, it's not like, let's say, the fiat world where you just put uh, 10 or 12 central bankers in a room and they get to make all the decisions, right? This is very much the will of the people, uh, if you will. And uh, again, I just don't see that happening. Uh, and it would take literally millions, if not tens of millions of people at, the, at uh, this moment. And over time, it becomes harder and harder, right? Meaning that uh, as there's more people on the network, it takes more people uh, to cooperate in any sort of change, which just decreases uh, the amount of um, you know, likelihood. Uh, and then another uh, argument, of course, made around Bitcoin is this idea that it is a form of digital gold. Uh, it's a hedge against inflation. It could potentially be a safe haven asset. But what we've seen so far is Bitcoin be quite volatile. Um, so how does Bitcoin eventually come to play that role? Well, every asset goes through the same type of trajectory when it becomes uh, kind of a currency that has a stability to it. And so the first is uh, you've got to be established as a store of value. Uh, that store of value, usually in the beginning, uh, is quite volatile, right? You can imagine the first person who ever picked up gold and decided to sell it to somebody else. Uh, when that second person then turned around and sold it to somebody else, there's quite a lot of variability uh, in what people are willing to accept uh, for that gold and for a good or service. And so what happens over time is as more and more people come into the market, uh, there's more liquidity. As there's more liquidity, there's more utility. As there's more utility, there's more stability in the price. 
Um, and, and so what you get is you get kind of this evolution. You start out as a store of value. You then eventually become easier and easier to use as a medium of exchange. And then as you become easier and easier to use as a medium of exchange, you get more adoption. More of that adoption leads to more stability. And so I think we've just got to remember this is only a 12-year-old asset. Uh, but over the next kind of two decades, I fully expect Bitcoin to not only continue to increase in adoption, uh, which therefore will drive a higher U.S. dollar price over a long period of time, uh, but also it will lead to much more stability. Uh, and we're already seeing that, right? It's more stable from a price standpoint than it used to be. Uh, so the volatility is trending down uh, and that trend will just continue over time. And what about utility, Anthony? Because, you know, if we look at, of course, Bitcoin transactions, they're slow versus current payment processes. Scalability has been an issue um, as well in the past. This appears to be something that perhaps could really hold Bitcoin back in its push to become a, a broader and more accepted global currency. I mean, how, how do some of these issues pan out? Yeah, I just reject the notion that uh, it's not very usable, right? Or that it has some sort of inherent issue. If I want to uh, send money to somebody in the United States, Bitcoin is the fastest way to do it, right? If I want to use a bank, well, literally, if I don't send a bank wire uh, by a certain time every day, then it doesn't clear till the next day. If I want to uh, actually pay uh, for something at the store, uh, I can hand somebody cash, but if I don't use cash, there's not final settlement at the point of sale. Um, and if, especially if I want to send something overseas, say that I want to send money to somebody in Europe or elsewhere, it can take you know anywhere between one to three days to actually settle that transaction. And so Bitcoin's actually quite effective uh, just in terms of using layer one, which is the base uh, blockchain. But now there's layer two technologies that are being built as well. And so, for example, through the Lightning Network, I can send one penny anywhere in the world instantaneously and for free. And so there's not a single technology in the legacy financial system that will allow me to send one penny anywhere, let alone to do it instantaneously or for free. And so I think that what people are starting to realize is this is superior technology, not only as a store of value asset, uh, but also as a store of, or it is a superior technology when it comes to the payment rails as well. Um, and so I think that, uh, as you can imagine, the technology has continued to improve and evolve. Uh, and over a long period of time, uh, we will see just absolute disruption of all other payment systems. And I think that kind of capital and value will flow to the strongest open digital decentralized protocol, which is Bitcoin. And as you look to the future then, Anthony, is it really just Bitcoin you see as being sort of surviving long term and useful? Are there other cryptocurrencies out there that you feel will survive and play a role? Well, you know, there, there's four types of assets that you can own. You can own uh, stocks, bonds, currencies, or commodities. And in the currency bucket, the, the kind of digital currencies, uh, Bitcoin is by far the leader. It's not even close. Um, there's no one who's even really competing uh, on that uh, vector. And so I think that central banks will eventually come out with central bank digital currencies. They'll essentially take their fiat currencies. They won't change the monetary policy. They'll just change the technology form factor, kind of put lipstick on a pig, if you will. Uh, I think that there's private companies that will come out with their own uh, currencies. There may be some other attempts at decentralized digital currencies, but ultimately uh, currencies are a religion. You have to have buy-in, uh, just like the US dollar literally has in God we trust. Uh, on, written on the currency, you've got to have that faith, right? It's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. 
Um, and so I think that uh, Bitcoin, the one advantage it has over any other technology uh, that gets created is that Bitcoin has the belief system. It has the Bitcoiners. It has those ethos. Uh, and they are willing to go to great lengths at uh, which to, um, you know, kind of protect that uh, and shepherd that technology. And so it's quite attractive. But I just don't think that there's anything that's really competing with it right now. And what does the future of Bitcoin look like to you when you think about the price, when you think about the utility? Because depending on who you ask, you know, it's going to zero, it's going to the moon. Yeah. Um, you know, look, I, I think that Bitcoin will eventually rise to become the global reserve currency. I think that Bitcoin will uh, eventually be much, much larger than gold market cap. You know, I've said that easily I can see Bitcoin's market cap being 2x the size of gold that puts Bitcoin at a million dollars a coin. Uh, I think that by the end of this decade, kind of the end of the 2020s, we will see Bitcoin eclipse the gold market cap, uh, which would put it at somewhere around $500,000 per Bitcoin and then kind of a 10-year time horizon. And then I think that uh, you kind of get an entire digital decentralized open protocol based economy, right? We already have the internet. Uh, and if you think about uh, that kind of internet economy, there is no native currency. And I think Bitcoin has finally uh, was created and, and has risen to prominence uh, and eventually will take that kind of uh, seat at the kingdom, right, of being that global reserve currency for the internet generation of the digital millennials uh, and the digital natives. And ultimately, because all of the value and transactions are flowing online, uh, I think that that will serve very nicely for it to eventually rise and become that digital uh, kind of global reserve currency that every government, corporation, financial institution or individual uses. Stick with me here on Beyond the Valley. We'll be right back after this short message. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Now I want to shift the attention to the future of Bitcoin and in particular what it looks like. There are a couple of chains of thought. One, that Bitcoin becomes a global currency. And the second, that it's more akin to gold. And the third, I guess, is that it does both. But can it? JP Morgan analyst Nikolaos Panagritsoglu tackled this question. He asked, has Bitcoin equalized with gold already? In a note to clients, Nicolau said the Bitcoin's competition with gold has begun and he put a theoretical price target of $146,000 on Bitcoin. Why? And what was behind his thinking? The, there is no doubt uh, that uh, the past year has uh, uh, seen uh, a very strong institutional flow impulse into Bitcoin. That's what differentiates the past year with 2017. Uh, there were three main uh, triggers, reasons for that institutional impulse. The first reason has been the virus crisis by itself has created additional demand for an alternative asset that would hold its value in a catastrophic scenario, you can call it a catastrophe hedge. That role was played by traditional gold after the Lehman crisis 
after the virus crisis, that role was played by both Bitcoin and uh, traditional gold. The second trigger has been the corporate sponsorship. We saw during summer months with Square, MicroStrategy, um, and PayPal in October, uh, all these announcements uh, helped to bolster confidence among institutional investors regarding Bitcoin. And the third, perhaps, reason has been uh, the mere fact that uh, Bitcoin survived over the past few years. Uh, back in 2017, the majority of institutional investors would think that uh, <coughs> cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin will disappear. Um, as asset classes and at some point the Bitcoin price will go down to zero. That didn't happen. Uh, the resilience that Bitcoin has exhibited over the past uh, years uh, has also helped to uh, uh, increase confidence. That is an asset class that is here to stay. Uh, regarding uh, the um, uh, issue of valuations, uh, there is no doubt that um, uh, it is um, uh, difficult to value Bitcoin. It is as difficult as valuing gold. The reason is simply that these two asset classes uh, do not offer any yield. Uh, you cannot do anything with gold or, or, or Bitcoin. You don't get any yield. Um, so the value uh, they derive uh, is uh, very much based on investors' perception uh, regarding um, the usefulness of these two asset classes uh, as a heads against perhaps a catastrophic uh, scenario. Uh, it's hard to see them as um, uh, heads against inflation, in particular Bitcoin with 70% uh, uh, volatility. Um, uh, I think it's um, uh, better to think of them as uh, heads against a catastrophic scenario. And it's that perception uh, that these two asset classes will hold their value uh, in a catastrophic scenario that um, uh, 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 forms uh, the basis, if you want, of, of their valuation. Um, among the various frameworks for valuing Bitcoin, um, my favorite uh, uh, is to compare it uh, with gold. Um, Bitcoin is competing uh, with traditional gold. Uh, Bitcoin is a form of digital gold. And um, as a result, uh, we can get uh, an idea of its valuation range by comparing the size of uh, the Bitcoin universe to the size of gold. Uh, the size of gold held uh, by the private sector for investment purposes uh, only. And I exclude here central banks because I don't think um, uh, central banks will be holding Bitcoin as a reserve asset uh, any um, uh, time um, in uh, the foreseeable future. Uh, so if we exclude uh, central banks, the value of gold held for investment purposes, but the private sector is around $2.7 trillion. If uh, uh, Bitcoin reaches uh, that um, uh, capitalization, $2.7 trillion, its price will have to move to $146,000. That's how we, we got that uh, $146,000 uh, theoretical price target for Bitcoin. The caveat with that is um, uh, that uh, the... Um, 
theoretical target makes sense only if the volatility of Bitcoin converges to uh, the volatility of gold uh, over time. The reason being that for most institutional investors, the volatility of an asset class matters. And asset classes that are very volatile consume a lot more risk capital than asset classes that are less volatile. And at the moment, uh, Bitcoin is five times more volatile uh, than gold almost, uh, especially uh, when uh, you um, uh, use the grayscale Bitcoin trust uh, and, and, and you compare it with the volatility of the biggest gold trust. Uh, and that big uh, uh, discrepancy uh, in, 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 vol, uh, in, in volatility is, is what um, makes this $146,000 uh, theoretical uh, target for the Bitcoin prices unrealistic in the current conjunction. In fact, uh, adjusted uh, for vol differences, for the fact that uh, Bitcoin is four to five times more volatile than gold, uh, and given that Bitcoin um, uh, has a market cap of around $700 billion at the moment, uh, multiplied by four to, f four to five times, we reach uh, um, uh, that $2.7 trillion uh, uh, capitalization target already um, uh, at, 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 at the current price of uh, 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 around $36,000-$37,000. So in a way, vol adjusted uh, uh, in risk capital terms, uh, Bitcoin has already equalized gold. And uh, as a result, uh, we can think of uh, the current level uh, as uh, an upper bound um, uh, of its valuation range um, at also a level uh, that um, has already, if you want, front-loaded uh, the um, uh, upside uh, in, uh, in, in Bitcoin towards uh, equalizing gold. And Nikos, I want to ask, you said that theoretical uh, price target really is dependent on the volatility of Bitcoin coming down. So what would need to happen for that volatility in Bitcoin trading to reduce? What, what kind of things would need to happen? I have no doubt that the key to this volatility convergence is the pace of institutional adoption. The faster the pace of institutional adoption, uh, the quicker uh, that convergence uh, uh, in volatilities will take uh, place. Um, uh, uh, it's most likely going to be a multi-year process. It might take even like five years or longer to see the volatility of uh, Bitcoin converging to the volatility uh, of gold. Um, uh, and um, as uh, a result, um, uh, it's unrealistic to um, uh, uh, think of that um, uh, 146,000 uh, price target uh, I mentioned earlier as um, uh, as 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 a, as a, uh, a near-term price target uh, for Bitcoin, uh, I think uh, within that institutional adoption, um, I would say uh, that um, the adoption by real money, uh, long-term investors uh, such as insurance companies or pension month or pension funds would uh, matter even more. Um, in terms of that uh, vault convergence. And Nikos, we've been talking about 
Bitcoin as the digital gold, but there is another view that actually Bitcoin could become a global currency as well. So can it fulfill both roles or does it have to be one or the other? Uh, I, I don't think um, uh, it can uh, fulfill uh, the role of um, uh, a, a broad-based payments currency. Uh, as you know, blockchain uh, has uh, limitations in terms of capacity. And uh, the Bitcoin uh, uh, blockchain network uh, is even more limited than other blockchain networks such as uh, the Ethereum uh, network. Um, I, I don't think uh, is realistic here to expect uh, that um, uh, Bitcoin uh, will become uh, a payments currency. Uh, I think it's a lot more likely that like stable coins um, uh, Will uh, some of them uh, will become um, uh, uh, means of uh, payments, um, uh, and uh, it could be uh, that some of the digital coins to be issued by central banks, such as the Fed uh, or other central banks, will eventually play that role. But it's unlikely to see Bitcoin playing that role. So my guess is that Bitcoin. Um, will continue to grow as an asset class, but mostly because of its perception as digital gold. And and just finally, Nikos, what would you say are the biggest risks to the Bitcoin story right now as you see it? Uh, the biggest uh, risk is uh, that uh, the flow uh, impulse uh, we've seen uh, over uh, the past months uh, uh, slows materially uh, from here. Um, we should remember that uh, while uh, we've seen uh, strong institutional uh, flows, uh, in particular since October, uh, into Bitcoin, that uh, doesn't mean that it was only institutional investors. Uh, they have been boosting uh, Bitcoin over the past months. It has been also retail investors. Uh, we believe that in dollar amounts, uh, the retail and institutional flows over the past uh, three, four months have been roughly equal in size. So the retail impulse has been equally important. And what um, I uh, fear uh, is uh, that uh, the U.S. retail impulse that has been propagating to other asset classes as well, not only to Bitcoin, but also to equities uh, and in particular individual stocks, um, that um, uh, has gone up to such high levels that uh, uh, my um, uh, uh, slow um, uh, at some point over the coming months, in particular when the economies reopen, people go back to the office, uh, they have less time to trade uh, at home, and um, uh, as a result, some of that uh, retail uh, impulse, flow impulse, uh, uh, slows from here. I think there is also a risk with institutional uh, impulse slowing. One thing that is true of the Bitcoin world is that it really does garner strong reactions from the people involved. There are a lot of people that won't say a bad word about it and others who only have bad words to say. It's one of those time will tell sort of questions though. But what is true is that Bitcoin has survived several years now. It's survived various bubbles bursting and a lot of criticism. And there appears to be bigger demand from institutional investors. Is it here to stay or will it fade away? 
What role will it play in the future for investors? These are questions we'll continue to debate. What are your thoughts? Let me know. I'm on Twitter at Arjun Karpal. Would love to hear from you. For now, that wraps up another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Beyond the Valley.